3: You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most
2: influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris.
0: I'm Mick Garris, and from Nice Guy Productions, world headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, this is Postmortem. Film and television have been undergoing a tremendous metamorphosis for years now. People seem to get most of their visual entertainment being streaming on various devices. We're no longer consigned to watching what the networks want us to watch at their prescribed times. Movies can be watched at your convenience, on demand, whenever and wherever you like. Cinemas are wavering at the brink of bankruptcy, but are clinging for dear life. Movies and television have always been the ultimate mix of art forms blended into a single medium. All of the arts and crafts are brought into play here. Writing, cinematography, acting, art direction, music, and so many other elements are required to make the final film that it is hard for one person to claim full authorship. Being the ultimate composite art form, it also holds that it is the platform that should be most open to change and innovation for over a hundred years. we've been entranced by the motion picture and all of its elements, but for the most part, the film stories are told in a very traditional manner. However, with the evolution of movie making tools and methods of consumption, there are even more ways to move off the beaten track. Artists are being crafty in new ways to tell stories that come with the revolution in technology. The fact that we can, as David Cronenberg likes to joke, watch Lawrence of Arabia on our Apple Watches has opened up entirely new vistas for the creators. That means that not only are the manner in which we watch movies morphing, the manner in which the movies are made has opened new doorways. Perhaps it started in 1999 when the Blair Witch Project exploded into international success, not only in its inexpensive production costs as a found footage movie, but also in how it was marketed and interconnected with the internet. And now we find computer screen cinema. Unfriended and its sequel showed that you could really tell an amazing story in a powerful way on a computer monitor, telling it as it happens in real time. It's not only inexpensive, but when handled correctly, can really engage us in a remarkably personal way. I was incredibly impressed by how well the technique worked on the Unfriended movies and even more so by one of my favorite movies of 2020, host. We will talk with director Rob Savage and his co-writers Gemma Hurley and Jed Shepard right after this. New listeners to the podcast may not realize that we are now in our fifth season of Postmortem and quickly approaching our 100th interview. You should know that every one of them is available for free on demand on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast app. Yes, you've probably listened to our conversations with people like Stephen King, David Cronenberg, Guillermo del Toro, John Carpenter, and Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, but you might have missed some of our most interesting conversations with people who may not be household names. I do this show because I love finding out about how creators create, who they are, what inspired them, how they fulfill their visions, and I learn something from every single one of them. Each of our shows has fascinated me, and I've discovered new visions and films and filmmakers throughout the run of the show. Like I've said, check them out on your favorite podcast app. All of our guests have inspired me, and maybe they will do the same for you. So guys, um... How did this triumvirate come together? It seems like it's not just a filmmaker and a recruited writer and a cr- recruited crew, but it was this, it, it seems like Astron Six, where there's a triumvirate instead of a six-umvirate, uh, putting together this project. What, what were the roots of your collaboration?
2: I mean, me and Jed have been working together for for a few years. We've done some short films, and we've been we've been developing a lot of stuff um before host that, that didn't get kind of announced until afterwards. but um you know we were flying kind of a little under the radar and um, you know when when we started to kind of think about doing a movie on zoom during during the lockdown, um Jed was the first person I called, and we kind of threw around some ideas. But, but what we've been doing in the development of our other projects is me and Jed have been coming up with the ideas, which which mostly involves us just going to the pub and think, talking about the kind of movies that we'd want to see that don't exist right now. Um, and then we kind of scribble down a little treatment and we bring on another writer to work with. Um, so we wanted to do something similar on this. And I'd read, uh, I'd read a really great, really fucked up script that Gemma had written um, about a year ago. And we'd met just once beforehand. Mm. And immediately, I don't know why, I just thought of, um, I just thought Gemma would be would be perfect for this, and that she'd be she'd be really up for it. And fucked and, up is always good, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Nice to be thought of as the fucked up person to get on the screen. <laughs> well,
2: I just record. remember that, like it's <laughs> the, the, the I mean, the whole script the whole script is great, but there's one scene that actually made me wince, like I kind of like mm. vocalized when <sighs> when I read it, which is very rare. So um, so that's that stuck in my mind, and and you know, and, and luckily Gemma was in between two different writers rooms and had you know had a couple of weeks to come and to come and work on this with us and, and you know and then it was really just about finding that dynamic but we it really clicked into place quite quickly i mean me and jed already had it and you know we were a little we'd, ne- we'd never kind of written something like this before which was mostly done off a beat sheet and it was you know there was never going to be a conventional script and we we kind of were figuring it out as we went along but um but i think we, we clicked quite quickly and got into quite a nice groove
0: that's great. Well, Jed, what was the structure? How how did the script take place? Because I can't imagine a hundred-page screenplay that you just <laughs> turn the pages, just by the very nature of how this is structured in piecemeal form.
3: Yeah, I think um before we brought it to Gemma, myself and Rob, we essentially wrote a list of ways to kill our friends and we <laughs> um, on film and we kind of married it to the features of Zoom. So we went on, on the Zoom's website and said, okay, you can change backgrounds, you can do stuff with, with muting and etc and we kind of married that up and we just thought of all the cool stuff from from a lifetime of watching horror movies just cool ways to kind of kill our friends and and our favorite scares as well ways we can kind of uh, subvert audience expectations and then the, the the thing with this particular film is because we made it with our friends we know these girls so well it was always it was always going to be full of our own prejudices and and personal friendships. So it was really great that Gemma is involved because she brought an outside perspective that was really needed for this to make it as good as it can be. Um,
0: Well, one of the most impressive things about it is the quality of the writing and the quality of the acting. When something is made for the computer screen, you assume it's because the filmmakers don't have much money and don't have access to real movie making. Uh, which, you know, was behind most of the found footage movies, most of which, you know, the only thing uh, I'm less excited about seeing than a found footage movie is a found footage zombie movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Other than one cut of the dead, which I think is genius. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but But um, this not only is specifically on a computer screen, but it's dealing with something we're dealing with right now, this pandemic. And so it had to be produced under those circumstances as well, where you're not all together in a room and interacting. So how did that, Rob, I think that's a question for you. How did you yeah. stage that and the complications of that?
2: Well, I mean, it was interesting because, because this, was, this was my main worry, is that is promising something to shudder that, that we wouldn't be able to deliver on. I had no idea... If, if these things would be able to come together. And, um, you know, initially initially when we took it to Shudder, like Jed said, we kind of, the pitch was basically a bunch of friends do a Zoom seance. Something happens, it'll be great, it'll be scary, trust us. And, you know, and, and to Shudder's credit, they totally kind of, they totally left us alone and, and left us to our own devices to figure it out as we went along. You know, my worry, my worries was that we wouldn't be able to get to, to the length that we wanted, and we wouldn't be able to. It would just be a bit, be a bit grating. And 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 you know, I, I think that the, the number one thing I always think of is like when you're making a, a a movie for no money, the audience really doesn't care about that. They just want to be taken on a ride. And and I just wanted to make Those sure three
0: things about the genre. Yeah,
2: I, what I didn't it's not want.
0: Yeah.
2: Absolutely, what I didn't want is for this to be a kind of curio that people would say, oh well. The story behind, the making of it is really interesting, shame about the film. You know, I, really wanted, <laughs> I really wanted people to go in with, you know, probably understandably a low expectation. I mean, on paper, it sounds like a really shitty idea to make a film on Zoom uh, during the lockdown. So I wanted people to go in um, and then, I, you know, I wanted to kind of blow them out of the water with the things we were able to pull off, the stunts, the level of performance, the kind of the humor. Um, and, you know, and I think a lot of that's really testament to the cast, we knew, that, you know, me and Jed knew them beforehand, uh, they were the first people that we that we got involved and I knew that they were really charismatic and fun and they had their own energy and they're really friends. So that was, you know, that was a real help. But, um, you know, our, our treatment ended up being 17, 17, 17 pages. Yeah.
3: 17.
2: And, you know, and there was, a there's a, totally, and there's, but there's, there was a there's a reality of this film where, you know, on day one I could have turned up with this, you know, scene one, the friends greet each other, and just, the, and that magic just, you know, maybe maybe that magic didn't materialize, and then we, we'd be in a very different situation, but it's really down to the girls and the chemistry they have. That, um, well,
0: it's quite remarkable to, for me, that it's a genuinely scary movie that all within the confines of computer screen. And as far as the writing goes, Gemma, uh, how much of this was improvisational? Was it basically just that 17-page treatment, or was it more scripted than that?
1: Well, this is the thing, because none of us can really take credit for the witty, uh, really authentic banter that came out of the cast mouths. Like, they are genuinely, like you know, I couldn't even write the how how funny some of those witty lines were. And, you know, that's all down to them. But yeah, I mean, as, as Rob said, you know, we had two weeks, we did the 17 page uh, beat sheet. And really, for us, our task in those two weeks, whether, you know, we were going to be successful or not was to create a story and a framework and relationships for them all to just be able to know where they stood with each other in the hierarchy of that friendship group and trying to figure out what those those tensions we could mine because, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's not a COVID film. It's, it's, it's a film about, you know, people being disconnected and isolation. And for us, it was like, what does that mean? You know, it, it's one of those very strange things. We were all experiencing that at that moment. That was our lives on the screen, right? We were having zoom calls with our, our most of your family, our friends and it, all of us were taking you know um things we'd experience in trying to find a way to put that into the story like for instance um originally like Rudina's um story with her boyfriend that was like we all know someone who's moved into very quickly during lockdown it was like let you know this is we can show that relationship on screen um, or just uh, there's something about zoom like maybe it's just me but there's a sort of um maybe it's a magnifying glass for maybe tension in relationships because only one person can speak at one time. Um, you have to be uh, respectful to everybody, you know, let people have their say. And that was quite a useful way to really just quickly find tension with these, these, this group of uh, female friends and really like dive into that dynamic of what might have been there before the uh, the pandemic came along. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. It was all we really had to do is come up with this framework and the, the actress is just, you know, blew us all away.
0: Well, I'd love to find out about all of your backgrounds. I mean, Gemma, were you, as a child, were you interested in the scary, the outre, that sort of thing?
1: Not like these guys. Oh my God. But, uh, I think, I mean, I, I just had a crazy imagination where, I, you know, I'm one of those kids who was like, there was definitely a monster in my cupboard. There was definitely a monster on the landing, like, you know, everywhere. Um, I think the first thing I saw that really freaked freaked me out was um probably the x-files seeing that a bit too young and believing that was like the mothman character with the red eyes like living on my upstairs landing in the dark um (laughs) just really kind of got under my skin and um but yeah no that was probably my first bit of horror i'm not like super super hardcore fans like these guys i'm more of a genre tv writer
0: yeah yeah, uh well, Jed, what about you? I mean, you seem to live and breathe it uh from your podcast. I get the feeling that this is something that has you were maybe born with.
3: Yeah, it, it's all I really care about to be, to be honest, horror <laughs> movies. Um, but it, it kind don't of Don't admit
0: starts, that on the show.
3: Yeah, it's kind of started from I I'm half Filipino and I don't know if you if you know many Filipino people, but they believe monsters are real. They believe in ghosts. My mum taught me that monsters were real when I was like five or six years old, she told me she saw a werewolf, not in the Philippines, in London, next to our house. Wow, um, a Filipino
0: werewolf in London.
3: Oh. Exactly, that great movie, great movie, Shudder. <laughs> um, but so I, I kind of grew up to believe it, and she's she's filled me full of these stories growing up of monsters are real, Jed, be careful when you go out, because you're going to get got by this Aswang, like a Filipino monster, and this and that. And that kind of just... Made me go into the horror films so I can kind of learn about these monsters. Read all the books about monsters because if they're a real threat to my life, I'm going to read about them. I'm going to learn them and beat about them and, and beat them at their own game. So I feel like this is all research for for the ultimate thing where I have to fight these monsters. You're kind of my family. Well, tell yeah. me a little more about these legends that you were brought up with that came. Oh, from the flip- okay. The background. Yeah. <laughs> so so besides that wealth one, so this is quite. In the last five years, this this is a true story. My mum and my sister was in Manila in this very Americanized mall and they went into a um, into into a changing room um, in, in a clothes shop and there was only one changing room available and they watched a woman go in and close the door. They waited 20 minutes for that woman to come out. She never came out. So my sister asked the woman in the shop, hey, I think someone's fainted in, in the changing room because the, she, she hasn't come out yet. And they looked over and the woman had gone. And my sister and my mom was like, where has she gone? And the woman in the shop, and this is Manila, it's basically like a a very westernized um, city. The woman said, the man must have come through the mirror to take her, they they take girls sometimes. And my mom was, oh, okay, fine. And my sister was like, what, what? And then then not only that, and then they explained to my sister, who's very skeptical like I am, uh, well, it's a man who's half snake, half man. He steals women. Sometimes he like like gets with them. Sometimes he eats them. Like, and everyone seems to be cool with this. And <laughs> and my sister and my sister said to the woman, "How is he half snake?" And my mum interrupted and said, "Maybe his mum's the snake." That, <laughs> that,
0: oh, that's, that explains.
3: Yeah, it. that's what I've had to put up with my entire life. This kind of blurring between facts and fiction, and and, and monsters and reality. Um, and which is makes me kind of a, a good person to be involved with horror films because they're almost documentaries to me. <laughs> <laughs> I should say.
0: Rob, do you remember the first genre movie that excited you and made you want to move into that field?
2: I think it was probably Evil Dead 2. I don't know, I mean, I kind of had, I had a bit of a thing, like, my parents are kind of hippy dippy vegans, and they tried they tried and failed to raise me without TV. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so I was raised without any screens in the house. And then one day, I got I got hold of like a little kind of black and white portable TV uh, that I that I hid under my bed. So every time my parents went to sleep, I'd kind of get this out, I'd plug in a VCR that I got from like a yard sale. And I just watched the most, the most horrendous, violent, scary horror movies I could because that was, you know, it was what my parents were trying to protect me from. So it was all I wanted to watch. <laughs> so I was watching. How you know, old were you when that started? Oh, this must have been like 12, 13. Um, so, you know, so I was, I was, I was watching all the, you know, you know, that the, they had the kind of list of video nasties that were banned here through, you know, in the eighties through the nineties. And I, that was basically my tick list. I was going through and I was,
0: <laughs> dead and I was
2: doing Hannibal Holocaust. And, um, oh God. and it was like, it was really, it was Evil Dead 2 that I remember watching it and just being so conscious of what the camera was doing and how that was working in relation to the actors and the blocking. And it was the first movie where it really clicked to me that there was somebody behind the camera kind of deciding, what you were seeing, what you weren't seeing, how close you were to a character—you Um you know—that just that just kind of got me fired up, and 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 it was it was kind of my kind of love of of horror movies and my love of world cinema kind of grew in, in tandem. Because after that, I became kind of this insufferable art house kid, and I just watched—you yeah. know—I I got into Tarkovsky and Bergman and kislovsky as much as as much as I was into Sam Raimi and Lucio Fulci and all those guys. I kind of didn't didn't differentiate, but I really just tried. Throughout my teenage years, just to watch, watch, watch anything I could, I'd kind of set myself tasks. I could do a week of just German expressionism, and I'd watch that, mm-hmm. and then I'd do, you know, Italian neorealism, and then and then I'd do, you know, Argento was a big one for me, and I just kind of, I just kind of um, dip in and out, and I think that's kind of, that's kind of where me and Jed really clicked. Is like I like I love all the same movies that Jed loves, but I've definitely got more of a kind of art house leaning, and I think Jed has more of a kind of '80s gooey uh, and, and i think we kind of meet in we kind of meet
3: garris movies
2: yeah, and, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then i think we kind of meet in the middle quite well and then i think the thing that the thing that i mean jet like as i've said gemma's got a fucked up mind as well but i think the thing that gemma really brings, <laughs> gemma comes in is like yeah but don't forget about story don't forget about character and i think you know it it's it's there in 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 our minds when we're coming up with stuff. But me and Jed get very excited by, by how to kill people. And uh, Gemma, Gemma... I like to keep them yeah. alive. But you've got, to, you've got to care about them before you kill them. And, and that's why <laughs> I all think... It's well, all about the survivors, Yeah.
0: yeah. No, but that, you know, horror is so much more horrifying if you can identify with mm-hmm. real human beings, real characters that you can be empathetic with, that you imagine yourself in their place. And you take that journey with them from beginning to end. That's why the, the scares are so successful in this, regardless of the device upon which you watch them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's a real testament to why this movie works so well, is the veracity of these people.
2: Yeah, that, I mean, that was super important to us. That's but, right. you know, the, the breadth of your
0: cinema education, um, Ra, is reflected by, you've also directed Britannia, which is kind of as far removed yeah. from, from host as possible. Tell me about how that came about and your experience with that.
2: I mean, that was an interesting one. I mean, the, basically, the way that I started out in film, at all, like when I was 17, I made host is technically, I mean, I sort of technically my second feature because t- 10 years before host, I made this feature film called Strings when I was 17 years old, which basically just came out of my own naivety because I didn't really know that short films were a thing. I grew up in the I, like my family are all farmers and I grew up in the middle of nowhere and um, I got my hands on a camera and I was like, right, let's make a 90 minute movie. So I had three grand, bunch of friends helping out. Um, a couple of actors, and we made this movie, which was very, very art house. Uh, I mean, it'd be a total shock to anyone who watched it, who watched the rest of the stuff that I would made. But it, it, you know, it's very much a kind of the movie that a, seven, a pretentious seventeen-year-old would make. But it was I kind of got all my art house out in in one go. But interestingly, like that movie, um, that movie got got picked up for, for cinema distribution over here by a company called Vertigo Films, who then made this big move into into television. Um, and I was really like kind of um, about five years ago, I'd made a bunch of shorts that had done well. You know, I'd we'd, we'd played Sundance. We'd we'd got a bit of a buzz going and we're developing a few things. But I was really struggling to just take to take that next step, either to get a feature made or to break into TV, because there's this kind of catch 22 with everything where, you know, unless you've done an hour of television, it's very hard to get an hour of television. So um, I was. You know, I was really, I was really struggling to to break in, and frankly, to to pay the bills. You know, and um, and then I got a call from from James Richardson, who runs Vertigo Films, uh, and and you know, and he he'd been doing, he'd finished just finished on the first season of Britannia, and we'd enjoyed working together on strings when he when he'd bought that for distribution, and he vouched for me to come on and do this big, multi million pound um, Roman epic. Just because he had a feeling that I'd probably do something interesting with it, I think they wanted to kind of turn up, dial up the crazy on series two, do something a bit more psychedelic Mm -hmm. and a bit more apocalypse now, and we'd um,
0: calling Rob Savage. Yeah, (laughs) well,
2: we'd we'd really we'd really got on because we both there's this movie Come and See which we both absolutely adore, um, Russian war movie, and and he said he wanted just a bit more Come and See in this new series, so I immediately clicked with that, and um, and it's fun as well. I mean, that's why TV is fun because you get to do it doesn't have to be part of your canon i mean i'm not i don't really care about that stuff anyway but it's not it, it's it just doesn't feel like like something of mine it's something that i've kind of come on to and, and and worked on and been part of a part of a team but it's very fun to come and play with roman soldiers for you know for six months and do big well the idea of there.
0: yeah the idea of director for hire i wasn't really interested in doing that for the first half of my career mm-hmm. then once i started doing episodics occasionally it was fantastic to be able to have access of all the most up-to-date equipment, all of the technology, yeah. all these great actors. You're telling stories in the same way that you normally do, but in a different world. I mean, when I did Once Upon a Time, mm. I never imagined myself doing Disney storybook characters. And I did some of the work that I I had the most fun with. And and some of the most emotional stuff I ever did was mm. in one of those episodes and then you're in and you're out after three weeks
2: Yeah, and it's but you've taken on you've taken on lessons that are invaluable i mean i learned stuff just you know working on a tv schedule with with actors of that caliber on britannia i learned so much about blocking specifically that i've really taken on and being able to turn up and you've got two hours to shoot you know three page dialogue scene and how do you keep the blocking interesting and how do you cover it in a moving master and all these kind of things that um you know, you you get put through the ringer on TV, but I think you always come out a better director on the other side.
0: Well, Gemma, what are the movies that and television that inspired you to want to be a writer and to
2: get into that business? Gemma loves really? Psycho. Do you want to talk talk about that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's embarrassing I've never seen Psycho. It's, it made me a terrible human being. Um, you should
0: be embarrassed.
1: We've seen a lot of horror
3: movies, Gemma's Way, to watch Before Host as well.
1: Yeah, they, they have and I've been going to, I feel like I've got like this back catalogue of things I'm slowly making my way through. I'm very proud of myself. Psycho is still on the list. We'll get there. Um but this is my embarrassment. Like I my dream was always to write a Pixar film. I love I just want to write for Disney and Pixar. And the first like my first credit is like this horror film, which is like to be fair, very fun. But I think it's got a lot of levity and comedy and humor, which you know is one of my favorite things about the film as well. Um but yeah, like I just honestly, like I always just wanted to write The Lion King. Um, and maybe I don't know what's happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs> are those the movies that influenced you the most that made oh my
1: you? Oh, God. To- yeah. And, you know, it's embarrassing. I'm doing a am doing a, a TV show for Amazon at the moment. I'm uh, one of the writers and all of my references are like, oh, yeah, this thing in The Lion King or like this Disney <laughs> film. and I just sound like it's such a twat. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's my that's my happy space. To be honest,
0: um, well, that's kind of what happened to me. You know, I got my start as a writer from Steven Spielberg on amazing stories, which led to me writing batteries not included and Hocus Pocus and, you know, very family kinds of things that had. A shadow over them, um, and then along came the Stephen King experience, and that kind of totally changed the direction of of where my career headed. Um, so, Jed, what about you? What were the things that were your launching
3: points? Um, I mean, I think it was quite similar to Rob um, with Evil Dead Two. Evil Dead Two was the first movie I saw, which I thought, oh, someone has made a movie for my exact mentalities. You have the, the <laughs> horror, you have the Kind of the action, you have the comedy as well. It just felt like I, d- I didn't know films like this existed. So once I knew films like this existed, I was like, okay, who was behind this? Who made this? And then you go down a Sam Raimi hole where you watch all of his other films as well. And you're like, wow, this, this guy's incredible. If he if he gets to make movies he wants, maybe one day I'll make like a movie that I want. Um, and and yeah, I think it's just inspirational, like Sam Raimi specifically. And that's why it's when me and Rob we're getting to work with him at the moment it's it's a it's literally a dream come true for both of us and i don't know how it is for you robert when i'm on a zoom call with him it's and and he's giving us advice he's just it's like nectar from the from the gods it's like of course yeah (laughs) like and when he's like twisting our story ideas and like um saying maybe maybe this will work it's it's such invaluable information and as a killer, I would never have imagined to be getting it direct from the horse's mouth. Um, well, tell me a little bit about
0: what this movie is you're doing with uh, <laughs> Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert.
3: Yeah,
2: um, uh, Rob, do you okay. want to take that over? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 another kind of um, supernatural movie. It's kind of touches weirdly on similar things, similar things to Host, just in a very a very different way. It's um, it's based actually on a real bit of folklore that me and Jed discovered and and just immediately it, you know, it's one of those ideas where uh, as soon as we as soon as we thought of it we had to immediately google just to make sure nobody else had made a movie of it because it you know sure it was one of these ideas where it's like surely this is on the tip of everyone else's tongue and somebody's going to do it so we wrote up something as fast as we could and it was the first time that i was flying to la to do the water bottle tour and i kind of like i sent it sent it to my manager and i was like can we do anything with this and he was like oh this is perfect for sam Raimi, and he managed to get me in a room with sam so literally the second day in LA just totally like starry-eyed I had to go and do this like 45-minute pitch straight to Sam which was the most in- intense nerve-wracking thing I've ever had to do um, but he's such a kind
0: yet, of yeah is one of the nicest guys in the world
2: exactly you know you go in and within within five minutes it was great and he you could you could he's a really kind of active listener and you can see the kind of um, uh, neurons firing in his head and he'll throw in ideas and <laughs> Um, no, and he, you know, and he, and he, he, um, he said he wanted to do it right there in the room and we started working on it and, um, And Robert, am I right in saying
3: it's the first time he's ever said yes in the room before? Like,
2: I'm sure he says, I'm, I'm I'm, sure that's what they said. I'm sure they say that to everyone. No, but it, you know, and it's, and it's really, um, it's kind of our version of a, of a Sam Raimi movie. Like it's really, it's really kind of, um, it's got a really strong vein of black comedy through it. It's really, it's really fun. It's a roller coaster. It's the kind of we want it. We want it to be a kind of tight ninety-minute Friday night horror movie that you can go and watch and just have a really great time with. And um, it's a real yeah.
3: audience pleaser.
2: Yeah. Uh, hopefully, so hopefully, hopefully, ne- hopefully that'll be next year. Fingers crossed.
0: In terms of filmmaking, cinematically, it's going to be cinematic. And if it's inspired by yes. the work of Sam Raimi, the visuals. Will be kind of the opposite of your lockdown computer screen Zoom
2: movies, yeah. I guess so. I guess so. It's kind of, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to get back to get back into that into that mode and have all the toys again, like you were saying. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I feel like host host was a really was really what I needed at that just just create it creatively. I was in a real rut at the start of the year, I'd been doing a lot of television and I was feeling not very. I wasn't in a great place creatively like I just didn't I I I was kind of doing everything that I thought I wanted to do I was you know I was a kind of jobbing TV director and I was working consistently but I just wasn't feeling very creative anymore and host was so um kind of antithetical to that uh but so much but so much fun and I loved kind of that DIY approach and just being able to being able to spend most of the time just working with the actors—I mean, that was the most fun to me. And because we had, um, we were working off a beat sheet, and it was—it was a there was, it, there was such a kind of sense of discovery every day working with the actors that I think what what's going to be fun for me when I start working on you know something like hopefully this 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 project with Sam, um, you know, and get back to that scale is taking that approach, that kind of actor-led approach, and. And kind of marrying it with with the visual flair that you know we want that film to have and i think what what i love about host is the soul that the the actors bring to it and i just i think if we can if we can pitch that just right with the sam raimi one it could be something really special
0: well you were a working director doing television being busy but suddenly you made this diy movie for very little money and very few resources but it hit in such a way that everyone who's seen it is impressed by it and it has changed the course of your career can you talk a little bit about how that how that happened and when when there was that first audience that you felt like wow we've done something that connects
2: god i don't know about you guys but i like i it's it's all been it's all been it was such 20 a 20 years ago
1: it's hard to it remember it really was 20
2: years ago <laughs> and it's also, and it's, and it's all been, it's all been like this. It's all been remote or via Twitter. So it all kind of like the timeline, it kind of compresses like jelly. Um, but I don't know. Cause I had, I had a really weird, um, I had a really weird moment in the ho- hotel. Cause I only just got, I only just got back to London um, uh, late yesterday. And I was just coming up in the elevator in the hotel. Cause we've, we've literally just wrapped our first Blumhouse movie. Uh, the, the deal that we got off the back of this with, with Blumhouse. Um, and it just it just just hit me that hit me that we 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 made one movie and we were allowed to say this is the movie we want to make next and get to make it all within a year. It's so it's so surreal. Um, if I'd have looked back on this, you know, if I'd have, if I've looked on this uh, six months ago, um, so it's it's been it, we like we've we've moved so fast on this next movie that it's hard to have that perspective. But I really had a kind of out of body experience early today earlier today and. Um, it's that, well. I that, mean, it was yeah.
0: only it was only ten months ago that the uh, virus became known. So all of this activity has happened in under ten months. It's crazy. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, it none of it feels re- real. E- even now, we we only delivered the film to Shutter two days before the the deadline, and. Wow. Um, and we made this in 12 weeks, by the way, all, all together in 12 weeks from inception to handing it into Shudder. So Shudder didn't really know what they had. We didn't know really what we had. Uh, we didn't have a trailer, we didn't have a poster. It it went right under the radar and it was released. And it's truly word of mouth and just the interactions between the cast and us guys on Twitter that I feel like organically grew the film. There was no money for a big marketing campaign, there was there was nothing. And I think People watching the organic growth of it made it, first of all, interested, but made them curious to see what this is all about. And I think what's helped host become what Forbes magazine called the phenomenon of 2020, it, <laughs> it's, it's the... Indisputable, <laughs> indisputable library. Like it, it, it's, it's just the the kind of organic word of mouth. And we captured something... We capture the zeitgeist without really trying to. We were just making a movie for ourselves and for our friends to watch. And um, and that's why there's so many kind of in jokes in it and like little Easter eggs here and there. And um, and the fact that we used it, just used our friends, it's 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 a strange feel because we, we can't compare it to anything that's come before because there hasn't really been anything like this before. Even, even things like the Blair Witch Project and uh, Paranormal Activity. There was an advance warning about that. With, with this, there was nothing.
1: But also, yeah, it, hold on.
3: It, yeah, go ahead, Gemma.
1: I was just going to say, also, like when, uh, when else in history has a film had a chance to capture like there's like the the very stressful zeitgeist of the global psyche at that like particular moment and come out, you know, in twelve weeks? I, I can't, I can't think of another film. That has had that opportunity, um, and also like the. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about the distribution, but like, I, don't, I can't think of another film that has started in this really like niche part of the internet on like Shudder, and then has kind of gone bigger and bigger in terms of its distribution, like going to different like going from from Shudder to cinema in the UK, and then going to America, and I think it's going to Japan like in January it's all and
2: there, all stuff. Europe, isn't it? it's like an yeah. opposite yeah.
1: way round. It's really strange.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, especially coming out at a time when in the U.S. almost no cinemas are open. Mm. And this is a movie that deserves to be seen on the big screen, even though you can watch it on your computer or your iPad or whatever. And it feels just as real, if not more so, mm. even more intimate. But, but were you able to see it in a cinema with people? yeah
2: we did, um we did uh we did a couple of special special screenings at the at the the b f i which is one of our favorite cinemas and the when I met Jed. yeah, yeah. they didn't they had not met um until what a, couple of a month or so after the after the film was released
3: it's very strange yeah we'd made this thing that's kind of taken over the world and we hadn't even met before very strange um but yeah like like rob said we 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 got to see it on the big screen quite quite a few times and for halloween um the the uh, UK distributor put it into into UK cinemas. It was like over hundred cinemas in the UK, which, which was crazy. Um, so it, you're
0: responsible for the spread of COVID yeah, throughout. Yeah, sorry, so, to be honest, it's, my bad. It's
3: us, it's, us <laughs> and, it's us and Hocus Pocus, Mick. It's us and Hocus Pocus, <laughs> which was number one in the US box office at the time as well. So we're both yeah. to blame. <laughs> yes.
0: Twenty-seven years after the fact, right? <laughs> yeah. Twenty-seven years, wow. Are you I,
1: it, it's
2: a thing, wow. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, Gemma. No, actually. no. no was
1: just I couldn't believe it
0: had been
2: that long. Sorry. Well, I, yeah. It's the thing I find so interesting about having, because because we 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 put out we put out the film, and I you know, I kind of because these guys didn't you guys didn't see it until two days before it released as well, because because mm-hmm. we're or a couple a few days a few days before it, it went out. It's a rough cut like maybe three or four days before before Something we delivered. Like that, yeah. But it was it was it was just this really intense post process where, where we were cutting and recutting and, and um, just rushing rushing to the finish line. And then we put it out. The thing that the thing that really surprised me is that people found it so scary. I knew that it was fun, I knew that it was funny, and I knew that the cast were really warm and you know that people would respond to them. But um, but I kind of didn't think we'd made a very scary movie. I thought we we'd made a movie I thought we'd made a movie that was that was that was fun and had a good pace to it. But I think what's really interesting is because people were watching it in that lockdown, you know, in, in in lockdown, in the same situation as the characters on their computers, where they where they spend the rest of the, the day zooming. It had a very specific. It's a very specific experience watching it at home, watching it in isolation. And I think it's like a totally different experience watching it in a cinema with an audience. I think it's I think it's much more of a fun roller coaster ride like because because you're you're there shoulder to sh- well not shoulder to shoulder <laughs> a responsible a responsible distance away from people but but um a scare happens and then everyone everyone screams and then everyone laughs and there's that release of tension and it's it's a it's a much different experience and I think it's it's equally fun but it's 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 not really that scary in a cinema it's more like a kind of yeah a, a ghost house ride or something i think you've actually crystallized it for
3: the first time in my mind what it actually is at home, it's scary, and in the cinema, it's, it's a fun communal experience. Like going to church and experiencing this crazy <laughs> <not> thing. <laughs> but it's, it's also
1: because in the cinema, it feels like we're out of the situ- we're out of the danger, we're out of lockdown. You know, well, we're, we're sort of, but it feels like it's over. But with England, I don't know, obviously, I don't know what it's like over there, but we're kind of in and out and in and out. So we're kind of in this. I mean, we're not going to obviously. Cookie, Yeah, we're not going to talk about the next film, but it, you know, it, it's all that kind of tension is there when you're alone in your house, of course. And I I feel like that's, we we wanted to capture that. But I think also if you guys remember, like one of of the first conversations we had was what do we want this film to feel like when you see it? Like, how do I want to feel when I see a horror film right now during like a COVID lockdown? Like, I want to, I don't want to feel claustrophobic. I don't want to feel... Um, like I'm trapped necessarily. I want to have a bit of like a a roller coaster, a bit of fun. And I think that was really just part of like, right from the get-go, I think that was part of the Mm. identity of this.
0: Well, it's interesting because it's kind of contrary to what the philosophy would be. The shared experience of horror and comedy is always amplified in a theater where everybody's jumping and screaming and laughing, but here you're doing it entirely in a solitary sense. And that seems to really
3: wreck havoc with what the the presumption would be. Well, mm. you, you say it's a solitary experience, but because you're on Zoom, it feels like you're on the Zoom call with the girls. So yeah. it feels like a communal experience while you're watching at home too. So you can go go both ways. That's the whole.
2: I mean, that's the kind of that's the thing that we really wanted to tap into. I mean, when we were having our kind of initial discussions, you know, we we the, the fear we wanted to tap into is this idea of of um, You know, social, um, whatever you call this video, video conferencing, it feels like it feels like you're together. You have a a sense of togetherness that can be shattered in a moment. If your Internet cuts out and you're suddenly sitting there with just the sound of the ticking clock in your room, you're Mm -hmm. very aware of your isolation. And we wanted to kind of pull that trick on the audience to make them feel like they just entered into a party with their friends. Um, You know, and it was happy hour. And then at that moment where all the characters stop laughing and they start um, just becoming, witnesses to, the, to each other's demise. Like that's a really, um, I don't know, we really wanted to get that kind of twist in the stomach from- uh, It's a
1: bit like The moment. Ring, you know, like at the end of The Ring where it's like, you feel like you've been infected by the film
3: mm.
2: a little bit,
1: like you're part of it. So it's somehow like, leave, it's left something with you. And I think obviously in a you know pandemic kind of era that definitely, was something I think we kind of wanted to put into the identity of this film. Like maybe if you watch that, like, you're part of the group. Could you be like infected by this like ghost as well? Perhaps a little bit. Uh,
2: yeah. Well, yeah, you're know, you part
3: of the seance, so yeah. you are infected. Yeah. Well, one of our
2: one of our big references um, that we all watched initially was Ghost Watch. Hmm. You know, the 1993 yeah. TV movie. And um, and me and Jed have always
0: her, right.
2: Yeah. Oh God. It, it, I for me that's the best fan footage movie ever made. And, uh,
3: I, and certainly so the best british one ever yeah mm. um and, but, and, and
2: but like, it,
3: it, it goes as far as we because me and rob have always said to each other we're going to make the new me and you we're going to make the next ghost watch we're going to make the next ghost watch our next project will be the new ghost watch so it was it was really cool when the uh creator and writer of ghost watch Stephen volk came out and said this is the new Ghost Watch. You watched Love's Host. This is the new Ghost Watch, and that probably meant more to me than anything. Um, m- maybe even more than like s- your your friend Stephen Kingwick. Uh- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: well. High praise, and Stephen is a is a wonderful guy and a great writer, and uh, and I love his work, and I do find it comparable to to what he did with Ghostwatch, mm-hmm. and, and, but it's also groundbreaking. Yes, there had been computer screen cinema before, but not in the middle of a pandemic, shot under these circumstances that you're portraying on the screen at the time everybody's in a different place. Tell me about the preparation process, not just the casting, but how you went about doing it and, and how you would do it. You know, it looks like it takes place over the 90 minutes that we're watching it, but obviously it was shot, you say, over a two-week period. Tell me the, the technical process of bringing that together and, and the uh, casting process and all
2: well the casting casting process was simple because it basically it all came about um because of a, a prank that i played on everyone um we you know cuz basically almost everyone involved in the film um we've worked together before uh we we hang out with each other as soon as the pandemic hit we started zooming with each other and it's basically everyone you would need to make a movie we you know we we go on these zoom happy hours with our VFX supervisor and the cast and um you know and our producer Doug and we we just hang out and um before before the pandemic, I just moved into this new this new apartment, um, and I looked in all the rooms except for the attic. I didn't have a ladder to get in the attic, and I started hearing these like dragging footstep sounds above my above my room in the middle of the night. I'd wake up and I'd hear them, and um, and I you know and, I'm like the idiot in every horror movie. I didn't bother going to check, and I told these guys about it. So I'd been seeding it for months that there was maybe somebody living in my attic, and then Robby, suddenly... you forgot
3: the you forgot the bit where I was over once. And oh, there fuck, was, yeah. I was over once, and and Rob was like, "Did you put that there?" And I like, put what there? And there was a, a, a used chocolate wrapper on the floor underneath his attic, under his attic. Yeah, that he where and that again, I'm from? a hippy
2: dippy vegan, so I don't have like any anything like that. Um, but but it's you know so so but lockdown happened, and I had to go and check it out. Obviously, so I went up there, and there wasn't there wasn't a creature up there, but it did look really scary, and it made me think of the scene, um, the scene in Wreck, the Spanish movie, um, oh, where, where they, they put the camera up and the zombie child jumps out and say, like, oh, maybe I can do something with this. So I, I kind of built this rig out of cardboard and toilet tubes um, that allowed me to like, take my phone and slot it right in front of my laptop so that my laptop screen was the only thing you could see. Um, and then I jumped, on, I jumped on the next Zoom call with these guys on my phone and did a bit of kind of shoddy sleight of hand and was like, "Okay, I'm gonna go and check check this noise in my attic once and for all, guys. I just need you here for emotional support." And I slotted my phone in front of the screen and played them the scene from *Wreck*. So they thought for a moment that I, this zombie child had jumped out at me and eaten my face <laughs> off. Um, and so, I so, and you know, and it was just me trying to stave off boredom. And I cut this together and I put it online, and it ended up going kind of, ended up going viral and getting millions of views and and. Wow. all of all of, pretty much all of the cast of host are in that initial video so it was really um,
3: and me and me <laughs> in it,
2: and, and yeah me. And, and, and Steve our VFX supervisor and Alexi our costume person so it was like it was really our shared thing we you know and we I said all, to Rob
3: beforehand none of our friends will fall for this 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 trick is they're not going to fall for it they intelligent people and uh, unfortunately, really not they <laughs> did fall for it everyone did <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it, but, it, but it's but it, it's the lovely thing about this whole thing is that you know that it was um, even that it was a sh- it was a thing that we were all sharing in. We were all really excited to see to see people sharing this little stupid prank video around, and um, and as soon as we started getting interest in a longer a longer version. It really was as simple as jumping on the next um, Zoom happy hour with those guys and being like, do you want to make a movie? There wasn't really a casting process.
1: And they say no? <laughs> like, please do said, They said do we don't want to, want to
2: get again. on Zoom with you again. But, um, <laughs> yeah. to, it's a real struggle. A um, <laughs> but it's been, the same, yeah, it's been the same with <laughs> The actual construction
0: of it and how it was put together over those two weeks, how was it laid out? How did you schedule it? How did you program, you know, who was shooting when and where? And yeah. was there acting Interaction going on on two different places at the same time during Zoom while you record.
2: Yeah, it was interesting because of, because we got such great reactions. Um, you, I I got such great scare reactions from from this prank video. I wanted to kind of keep a bit of that prank video aesthetic in the movie. So me and the producer Douglas Cox, we kind of scheduled it out, and we were like, okay, what we should do is we should hide things from from the cast. And me, Jed, and Gemma kind of worked out the script so we could we could pull out a lot of the individual scare scenes and only shared them with the actors involved. So a lot of the cast only knew what, what was going to happen to their own characters. You know, a bit like a kind of um, a shoddy version of a Mike Lee thing where, you know, you <laughs> only thought what's happening to your character. And um, so me and, me and Douglas, the producer, we scheduled it so that we kind of oddly, we kind of front loaded the shoot with all of our huge stunts, setting people on fire, dragging people in the air, um, you know, all of our big effects shots upfront in the first in the first two days so we did two days of really intense um stunt work then we cut that together um cut that together added sound effects made them really scary and then started shoot then then me and doug started shooting with the girls every day just going through chronologically um, and then when we arrived at those scenes that were redacted acted for the girls we'd we'd pump in this footage that we'd already recorded sometimes without them even knowing and they'd react in real time these scares and we'd get these reactions that that, um that you never could have fabricated uh you know a lot of those initial scare reactions. that's that's really take one of them seeing i don't know one of their friends burn alive or or something fly across the room these things because you know like everyone they they had set their expectations quite low as to what we might be able to achieve in lockdown and i think when we showed them some of those stunts it really freaked them out Um, And in terms of So the, when, you were, oh, when oh. you were
0: shooting did you have them all on the screen at the same time when they were there yeah. or shoot their pieces separately or you wanted that interaction
2: we wanted that interaction and what we what we did is um uh it was it was the the cast me and Douglas Cox the producer who was kind of making scene notes as we were because we were kind of like just making it up as we went along and he was making notes for the editor as we were shooting and just also doing a million other things and um it was like it was initially we, we, we kind of imagined that we would just press, you know, do what we're doing now, press screen record on a Zoom call, which, which is how I did the prank, and that that would be fine. And then, you know, and then I found myself like waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat being like, but what if we, this stunt that we're paying half the budget for, what if the internet cuts out? We definitely can't do that. So, so we, we came up with another lo-fi solution, which is that we got them to take their iPhones and just like tape them behind the laptop. So the iPhone camera was pointing out just over the top of the laptop camera. So I would wow. um, so I would be able to look on Zoom um, and it would almost be like my video village. I'd be able to say, well, that's pretty much what I'm going to get. Um, but I know that there's a camera that's recording it that's not connected to the Internet. Um, oh, you had
0: TPs. Yeah. Yeah. ADPs.
2: <laughs> well, This is the thing. And so and so part of, part of my part of the, mo- the kind of most crucial bit of the prep was the week that I spent with the girls before we started shooting. Um, and what I did is I kind of sat with them when we talked backstory, and we came up with motivations for each, for each of the scenes. You know, we ca- the the thing that the scriptman really had um, that was really useful was that was these kind of um, objectives for the characters in in each of the scenes. And so, I, you know, I'd spend time working with working with the cast. This is what I want you to, you know, I need you to get from here to here within the scene. Um, we talk about character stuff. We throw in some backstory stuff that wouldn't necessarily be verbalized, but would just help give a bit of a sense of history, and. And then, you know, and then a lot of the time was spent just setting, um, j- getting them comfortable with jobs that they wouldn't normally be having to do on set. So we, we set three or four, depending on how, la- how long the characters last, three or four different lighting states. So on the day, I'd be able to say lighting state one. And that means your angle poise goes on, your overhead goes off or whatever, you know, just be practical lights within their room. We'd sort out. Um, the blocking. So I'd say, you know, at the beginning of the scene you're here. Then you've got to take the camera and, opera, you know, walk into your kitchen, and we'd we'd kind of plotted out, so uh, and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse individually with all the actors, so they knew what was going on within their own narrative. And then on the Friday before we started shooting, I got all of them onto a Zoom call and I said, listen, I've talked you through the movie. I want you to to act out the movie. Don't don't don't. Don't perform it, but just just take me through all the beats of it in real time, so I can see that you're all marrying up. Um, and we did that, and uh, you know they'd really, th- you know they, they they just really wanted this to be good. I mean, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the film it film it is unless everyone had really thrown in, and they just they they put in the time, they committed, um, and you know, and, and then when we started shooting, we able they were able to just um, to just focus on acting because the rest of it had become a kind of muscle memory.
0: Every one of them is so good. I mean, all of these performances are so genuine and real. And, you know, that's what makes it work. I mean, all the all the work that the three of you did certainly is massively important. But if those performances had not had the verisimilitude that they -hmm. it wouldn't be anything,
3: so the the thing is like we've put these girls through a ton of short films in the past so this is almost like their reward they stuck with us this long they they got to have a good good film out of it but no you're you're completely right these we could have had a bunch of friends who, who weren't very good actors um it could have easily happened but it's just lucky in this in our whatsapp group we we had this group of actors who were incredible and i don't think they knew how incredible they were, and it took the world telling them how incredible they are for them to realise it. And only now are they are they seeing it, and like, oh wow, maybe we are great, and they are,
2: they are really really great. <laughs> and it is, and it's oh, such a that too much, yeah, yeah. But, it, but it's such a tough, it's like acting such a such a tough gig, and I like, you know, especially we were kind, especially in lockdown, yeah. And yeah. I think you know some of them, had, had you know, had. had been been knocked back for you know roles they really wanted recently or they just they were start like there was some there was some some doubt setting in that you know and, and I and I think this movie like Jed said it really just um proved they proved to themselves just how how incredible they are and that they're totally up to the task. One of them was
3: actually going to give up acting. I'm not going to say which one, but one of them told wow. me before host she was going to give up acting and mm. she's no longer going to give up acting. She's pursuing it, which is great. Yeah not anymore. <laughs> So, uh, how far apart were
0: the locations for all of these uh, apartments or homes that uh, that you zoomed?
2: They were. um well, there were most of them are in london. so Te- Teddy is the only the only actor who we we hadn't met before. We auditioned him um, because he's he's also stunt qualified because we wanted to do something pretty nasty to him. Um, and so mm-hmm. we just started reaching out to people that we could do this very specific, nasty thing to. And luckily, we found somebody. Yeah, he he his his reel was so good that even if he even if we couldn't have done the nasty thing to him, I would have cast him anyway because he had just exactly <laughs> the right energy. And um, so, he was he so miles away. Yeah.
0: You didn't have one house with a lot of different rooms that
2: you were all together. Oh no, we were all uh, we were all set, yeah, we were all set. apart from J- Gemma, Gemma and Gemma Haley, were pretty much on the same street, um, which is why why Gemma goes into Haley's apartment at the end. They had had Gemma and Haley had to vacate. We had to do a COVID clean, and they had to come in. And um, wow. so, you know, we wanted because we didn't want it to feel like we what we wanted to feel like there was some sense of the world outside, even though we were doing it on computer screens and some sense of distance, um, you know, real real distance. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, and I think a lot of the the stuff we were able to pull off, the effects, some of the stunts, they were only possible because everyone was on furlough and they weren't doing anything else, and because because literally anyone with an internet connection could suddenly help us out and be part of our movie it became very easy to get a hold of these people um you know people like dan martin who's an incredible sfx genius who you know he did possessor recently he's just on our new movie but he's was incredibly busy and then suddenly like everyone wasn't and was able to come on and you know and do some of the effects on our movie so we're very very kind of um yeah we we you know it's it, it's a very shitty situation but we're very fortunate to to be able to have all these collaborators
0: yeah, and and uh, brilliantly conceived. So, Gemma, what what was it like being bookended by these two men with encyclopedic knowledge of horror, and you being a relative newcomer stepping into the pond?
1: Oh my god! I mean, I'm not going to, you know, pretend that I, I wasn't. It, it was. It wasn't that I was like, oh god, there's these like horror guys. How am I going to fit into that? Because you know, I, I I do write horror, but it was more. Um, how am I going to like? First of all, writing over Zoom, like that's the new thing that I've never had to do in my life. And um, how is it going to? How are we going to build trust with each other to like you know say a stupid idea that like nobody likes? How are we going to build that rapport? It's such a, I think it's such an important thing in any writer's room, um, you know, to be able to trust each other and have that kind of um, you know, that shorthand, share the same sense of humor. There was no guarantee any of that was gonna happen and you know as Rob already said I'd only met him once a year ago. Um Jed I'd never met um and still have only met once really. Um so it was enough. That's (laughs) enough. (laughs) 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 And so it was it was really just like oh my God, what if this is a shit show? Like what what if this you know what if we don't get on? What if you know we're you know one of them has a huge ego or what if I you know what, what if I'm just talking over everybody? There were so many you know, slight anxieties you have in like writers rooms, but it just was such a dream. I'm not even just saying that because they're here and they can listen. It was actually really fun. We, we watched a lot of horror movies. We just made each other laugh. And I think that's probably reflected in the film that we ended up creating together. It was just a joy. And it was just like two weeks of like, oh great. Like I get to do something fun in lockdown while the world's ending. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a dream.
3: We got to do like three well, séances together as well. Like, yes, yeah, that's, bond, that bonds
1: yeah. people together. Yes, apparently, yeah. That's and we're st- one of our séances is still open. Like uh the one we did for the cast, we like forgot to close it, so maybe yeah. we just had some kind of cosmic <laughs> bonding going on. Or
2: yeah, we're, we're on the astral plane. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's such a pleasure to see someone do something so new and so ingenious, and do it so successfully that that I I can't tell you how much I appreciate the film as a viewer and I would just like to kind of quickly wrap up with asking how this movie and its success has changed either your lives or your careers or however and Rob let's start with you.
2: I mean kind of like I was saying before, it's been it's just been a hugely clarifying a thing. And I, and I think the pandemic had, had a lot played a large part in that. I think it's been clarifying for a lot of people as to what's really important. And I was in a very different place at, at, at the start of the year and not quite knowing, not quite knowing what I, what I wanted to do or what would, what would make me happy and making this film made me really happy. It made me feel really creative. It really, um, I don't know. It just—it got me. It kind of got me fired, fired up again. You know, I've been—I've been doing this for for ten years. It's been ten years since that first movie, and um, and I've always been trying to get back to that point. I think get back to that point where you know maybe we don't have very much money, but everyone on set wants to be there. Everyone is doing it for the love, and you know. Yeah. And to be honest, I think it's really, I think it's a real turning point in in my life making this movie because I because I kind of know what's important to me now. I don't know about you guys, but it felt just like a reinvigoration.
3: Yeah, Jed, what about you? Yeah, I mean, it's totally changed my kind of my my view on it on everything, really, because I didn't think I really didn't expect this to be the one to blow us up. I thought it would be the Sam Raimi film. I I genuinely, so I hadn't prepared at all for this to be like a massive hit. Um, But yeah, I guess professionally, it's obviously opened up a lot of doors for us together, but also for me, I've got a few things lined up which which are crazy and we'll talk about it another time but some crazy stuff's happening um so and i'm it was it's all because of host really it's all because of the opportunities that that host has, has given and just a response from, from everyone it's crazy and also obviously i'm doing the fuzz bucket remake uh with regenerate <laughs> and, and rob
1: oh, <laughs> oh god <laughs>
3: Gemma how about
0: you how did this
1: uh for me I think because as I've already mentioned I mainly work in tv so I I just finished working on a um, like writing um, an episode on a Netflix BBC horror tv show and then COVID happens like oh great like filming's when were they going to film again like that's another like you know these things take so long to make it's just like oh my first credit's going to be so far away and then um this came along and I think the thing I took away from hosts before I, any of the you know the reaction came out was really just the attitude of Robin Jed it was like I'm quite a oh, no. I think I'm quite a pessimistic person or quite skeptical like oh yeah sure sure we're <laughs> gonna do this film in lockdown you're gonna burn someone alive haha <laughs> all right let's yeah. just write that in the script and <laughs> um, and then they and they just made me feel like a fool because they they pulled it off um so I think that was one of quite the nicest things that came out of it was like you know what like you can just just do stuff. Like, you know, I think Rob, you said, like, you know, someone's gonna make a, you know, a lockdown movie, why can't it be us? Um, and I think that was one of the things I really kind of took out from it. And and sure, like lots of wonderful things have come along since then um, that probably related to host. Um, But that's I think that's the thing that has um probably just struck quite a personal chord with me really for future.
0: Well, it's so great, it's the perfect triumvirate this collaboration made for something really special and unique, and I wanna thank you so much for sharing uh, all the stories behind it, and hopefully we'll do this after the next one too.
3: Mika, can I, can I just say thank you for having us on, um, because I know last week you, had, you didn't have a very good guest, <laughs> goldberg. <laughs> Whoopi you
1: goldberg needed, you, are we in the follow-up to Whoopi goldberg you needed something you needed him.
3: something to kind of get that audience back up again so you chose us <laughs> really it. a lot <laughs>
0: thanks yeah we got uh we got stephen king Whoopi goldberg and jed Shepard, Gemma hurley and rob savage yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs> the holy trinity
0: and, and all the best of luck on, on all of the new projects that have been uh, coming together for you and uh, I really wish you the best of luck and thank you for joining us
3: thank you very thank much, you much Mick this this is nice. Nice. happy spookies happy spookies, happy spookies. <laughs> thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.